Uh, this is Martin Scorsese and... Um... This shot was problematic. <laughs> yeah, boy, we're in trouble now. And that's the way it came out. It was really nice. On this day, I remember it was a breaking point with me. Of course it's not true. Wait, so yeah, yeah, okay. It was one of the great all-time people. <laughs> I broke them all there, didn't I? Especially clenched. <laughs> you know, occasionally in art you get lucky. A little device that was in my nose, I put on uh, the, the chocolate, gave it to the rat, and the rat is now running around with that device. Yeah. Time flies when I'm with you guys. I hope that everyone enjoys listening to people talking about something that they shouldn't be talking about. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Director's Commentary. Let me first acknowledge that my name is Giancarlo Ranka, the host of this broadcast show. And let me secondly acknowledge how absolutely very sorry I am that um, I haven't done a new episode in months. Of course, that will be lost to the sands of time. But for all of the subscribers who have stuck with me uh, in the year of our Lord 2023, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You rock. And I feel guilty as a mule. And I have a lot of episodes coming up to compensate um, and hopefully assuage the guilt that I feel. I'll also have you know that I've closed all the windows to to so that there's no street noise of polluting the audio quality of the conversation we're about to have. And I have to admit to you something that I will eventually admit to our guest, uh, Al Warren, that I haven't had time to watch his movie. So I think we'll be focusing on the strategies, the strategies for getting uh, the film made, how it was made, getting the word out, and Al's film background. Um, I asked, invited Al to join me for the show because I saw lots of good, I don't want to say press, but like kind of like word of mouth. Let's call it buzz for the film. And so I just wanted to have him on and we will talk to him about his movie Dog Leg. And I think they had a premiere yesterday in Los Angeles. There's a screening coming up in New York. We'll get to all of that. He's a pleasant guy. I've only interacted with him a handful of times, but he's a pleasant guy. And uh, we desperately, desperately want to know how he got it done. What were the strategies? What were the routes? What were the rejections? What were the failures? I've been working on stuff too, I have to say, and that's partly why the show hasn't been as active as it could be or should be. Um, also, a few filmmakers that I was counting on uh, who kind of softly promised me they would do it kind of dropped out last second. Don't hold anything against them, um, but you as a listener potentially should. I won't name their names, um, but at some point when I do have them on, I hope I will confront them about dropping out. So you'll have to kind of track along and for the saga here, welcome um, Al to the show known as Director's Commentary. It is a show, of course, where directors are excited to talk about their projects and also talk about uh, their swag, their uh, gear that they might have. And so as you recall, this is also a visual show. This is not just an audio show. And so for everyone who's watching this conversation, you will see, of course, that Al is wearing a dog leg official crew 
and a cast and crew merch hat with the funny little logo that he has designed or who designed that out? Steve Smith uh, took Bobak Coach Nudes uh, original design and then fucked with the letters. So those two guys. Steve Smith, we do like him. He's at Brain Dead and he's a director in his own right. And then who was the original designer? Bobak Coach Nude, who is my producer for Doglag, and he runs Studio Yours Truly. Studio Yours Truly. Well, we're diving right in, aren't we, Al? Yeah, we are. And uh, what is that, a dog barking in the background? No, I just turned my computer back on. I'm sorry I was late. It was slow, and now I'm getting notifications from every fucking Oh, night. nice, dude. What are the notifications saying? Like, congrats on the premiere. I love the movie. Like, uh, Great job. You, how come we still haven't been paid for the shoot? It was over six months ago. No, they're like, it was over six years ago and we haven't been paid. And honestly, we're broke as fuck and we need to be paid. Is, is the, it, okay, it, was the film actually shot over the course of six years or was it shot six years ago? No, no, it was, it was shot over the course of five years. Wow. We hey. started shooting in 2018. Uh-huh. And, um, and the movie just changed a lot over time. You know, I got offered like a small amount of money. This guy came to me and he was like, we're going to start a micro budget feature film company would you like to be our first film and i was like wow I mean, nice sure so i work with this guy named michael bible in uh, new york he's a novelist and uh, just a great writer that i'm a fan of and so you that's the person you worked with on the script yeah you're not going to tell you're not going to name the name of the person who said they're going to start a micro no. No, feature no, no. company because uh, i guess ultimately that didn't pan out so you don't want to call them out as a kind of bs artist but guess what by the way, before we get so negative about this person who shall not be named, who I don't know who they are, you might not have gone down this path of making this movie, which is now complete, um, if this charlatan or well-meaning individual who was delusional yeah. hadn't contacted you. That's exactly right. I got nothing but love for him. I'm not going to shout him out because uh, I forgot his name, honestly. But um, Yeah, yeah. But we, oh, we I... love this tomb of the unknown soldier type stuff. That's right. No, you're right. Like, without that, I don't think... I mean, I think we were looking for a way to make something. We were writing scripts for a long Who's time. Who's we? You and Mike Babel? Me and Mike Bible. Yeah, me and Michael. Now, now, are you sure you... Like, when did you ever have hesitation about working with a guy like this? Because his last name is, like, Babel. So, oh, it's, like, it's even more than mumble. It's kind of, like, Babel. It's, like... Bible. Not... It's Bible. And I used to work with a guy named Daniel Curran. So, I just... Oh, sleep. it's Bible. Bible. Like, oh, yeah. God. Whatever happened to Daniel Curran? You know, he just got a little extreme for me. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. OK, well, that's that's some sort of uh, Islamophobic humor. huh? No, no, so, no. no so wait. So let's take a step back. Al, okay. if that is your real name. Do you want me to call you Alex? I just call you Al. I, you know what? You can call me whatever you like. I changed it officially professionally because there's a very famous TikTok star named Alex Warren. So nobody so can find You're me. kind of beholden to this like TikTok. You're kind of enslaved by this like yeah. viral TikTok star, huh? Yes. Your identity yeah. has been kind of taken from you because of someone else's fame. Is that correct? It's right. And he's like 21 living in a fucking TikTok house. Yeah, that's cool. My people to get his people and get us in a celebrity fighting. Uh, match. Yeah, a name like whoever wins the whoever fucking wins bout. Fight. That's the name. Now, now I don't want to do too much of a sidebar here. We are here to focus on your work, of course. But um, could you describe like Alex Warren, the real Alex Warren's like filmmaking style on TikTok? Like, what are his vids like? 
Oh shit. Um, he's actually kind of like a musician. Uh huh. Uh, I think he just like signed to a major record label. Hey, and, congrats like, to him. Out. Congrats to Alex Warren. Um, no, his his style on TikTok's very like, like oh oh shucks, kind of like G. Like oh, really? you know who loves that? <laughs> Teen girls love stuff like that. Oh, they shucks. love that shit, and you know oh, they're just fucking they're watching it over and over. So yeah, good yeah. But, it honestly could just be a thousand girls, but like they and like maybe like a hundred guys. And maybe that kind of gets the millions of views because they just rewatch it. You know, yeah. when they're when you're a super fan, you leave that TikTok on overnight, <laughs> plugged in, and you just have the video like cycling. You know, hey yeah. Al, I have to tell you something. Yeah. Um, and I hope you're not offended, but oh. I just I didn't have time to watch the movie. So so okay, honestly, Eugene, I was gonna say, man, like, um, I would prefer that you watched it. And I mean, we're actually kind of we're kind of uh we're ships, ships in the night. night yeah but we're gonna show it again like a lot this summer and i would love for you to actually see it in the theater yeah you know i'll come and then you know what you should really try to do is get me to moderate q a oh done we'll do that <laughs> um but I, I figured for the episode we could just talk about all the kind of the making of it and and, oh. and you know i've i've uh kind of been a fan of yours from a distance and then when i saw like hey i didn't i guess i don't know al at all because he's been making this movie and it's coming out and the, the the way you've been kind of promoting it looks very charming and good and cute and, and it's happening for him. And I know the people at Braindead, uh, Steve and Meg and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I said, I said, oh, I want to talk to him about because I think a lot of people are really curious about how do you make that first feature and like, how do you sustain your life up until you make that first feature and yeah. all the other questions in between. So you were getting into it. So let's just jump back into it. So uh, yeah. So so why did why do you think a random guy came up to you who's going to start a micro budget? Let's start there. Micro budget thing because he had seen some of the shorts you had made. Yeah, I made a film in twenty thirteen and fourteen called Sequence, and it's like an anthology of four films, and we never released it publicly. We played it at Cine Family uh, and Anthology in New York, and then Cine Family is what the now brain dead theater right. used to be. Uh, right. How did you get it shown at Cinefam? Bro, we straight up rented the theater. Okay, you just did a rental. Like, I, was, I wasn't even living here yet. Mm -hmm. I had friends here. I was working here often, and I had been to some movies at Cinefamily and just thought that that was the right size room for what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, that was a great experience, you know? Yeah, so you flew out, and then you said, man, I, I, was, I, I need to move to L.A. No, I was moving to L.A. already the very next month. Wow. Like I started in December of 2014 and then I moved here in January of 2015. Sounds like you really planted the seeds for everyone to want to uh, kiss you and have sexual intercourse with you. And that did happen. Trust me. That's awesome. Hey, that's, um, congrats on that. We never, but how we did never, you show, how, how did you show it in anthology? Also rented it out? Also rented it out. And um, hey, look at that. This John Cassavetes on Cassavetes book in the background. That's kind of intentional, kind of art direction flex for the show. That's why I was late. I was like, what book would Eugene really like? And I started rearranging my Yeah, book. yeah, that is why you're what I got right here, too. What do you got there? Er Eric Romer. Nice interviews. I don't have that one. I want that. Wow, nice. I'm going to look for that. Is it good? Uh, well, he's such a, he's a brilliant guy. But you know what? I don't know if I fully understand his mind. Maybe I need to read some interviews. What do you not understand, do you think? Um, I guess, like, uh, his approach to filmmaking is something I don't 
get. I don't understand how ironic or not ironic it is. And I, I'm constantly curious about visual ideas he has or it's it all seems it seems extremely like off the cuff and also extremely precise. So yeah. that's that's something that um I'm interested in. I think um, you kind of nailed it. It's he's he is harder to pin down than someone who arguably makes like more difficult work like Brisson or or something like that because there's such a a rigidness to what Brisson is is doing with the camera or his his kind of transcendental style of things or someone like Godard where you completely understand like the intentionality and also like, right. the, the position the position of the filmmaker is like, extremely clear and yep. I think Eric Romare kind of deals with kind of ironies and um hypocrisies and human nature in a much more realistic way and so um like Shakespeare or something like that you not that they're comparable really but you're like oh what is this author's like position on all this mm -hmm. stuff um or is it just the kind of humanist position that life is a, a, a simultaneously absurd and tragic I think probably yeah. something like that but I'd love to hear from yeah. the horse's mouth right um and this we're going to hear from the dog's leg so That's right. uh, okay so 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 you had made this th thing called sequence it was a yeah. series of shorts what what are those shorts like so i was gonna say i was really influenced by eric romare's six moral tales at that oh uh-huh yeah and sequence was uh trying to kind of rip that structure off just basically like a series of films there it runs like an hour dude i'm really proud of that i've made some stuff in the past that i'm i'm not trying to let people see but I do want to release sequence one day. The first short film is about three junkyard workers that are. What is stopping you from releasing it? Um, the producer that I was working with, like spent a lot of money on the film. And then yeah. we licensed the music. We kind of did things backwards. Like yeah. we licensed the music too early and mm. we didn't license it the correct way. So basically, I mean, it's not much money. It's probably like $5,000 standing in the way of us, like fully being able to release it. But you know, that's the only reason why. Yeah, but that, okay, so so all this time when you're making these films, how did you get the money to make the shorts and stuff? You're, are you working a job or? Are you talking about sequence? Yeah, I'm talking about sequence. That was a different time in my life, man. Like I had been wanting to make money. And I mean, look, I'm not making like a shitload of money now, but I made enough money over the past few years to be like splitting my paychecks to pay for dog leg. Yeah. And to sustain myself, you know. But what but, about back yeah. then? Yeah. Back then, I met an angel of a producer who used to be an attorney and she turned into a producer because she was a movie lover. She knew my dad, who's a filmmaker. Oh, your dad's he, a filmmaker? Yeah. Let me guess what his name is. Mm -hmm. uh, Warren Beatty. Dude, somebody told you that. You already <laughs> knew that about me. <laughs> no, what I kind of what kind of film what kind of films did your dad make? My dad is uh, such a sweet guy, man. And um, he is very different than me. He's a very technically minded person, right? So did, they, did I ever see any of his films? Yeah. What are they um, called? Can you name one? I mean, a lot of the films that he has made are like smaller documentary type things. He's made a lot of commercials, but he shot Borat. Oh, Borat? Um, all the Borat stuff in the South for the Ali G show. Yeah. My dad shot that stuff. Um, he shot it like a DP or he shot it like an episode director? Uh, no, like deep. I mean, he didn't DP the entire show. It was like more the segment of Borat in the South. They would come to the South and then my dad would 
go with them and then they would be together for a while and I remember being you know I don't remember how old I was maybe I was in high school when the Ali G show uh -huh, uh -huh. yeah started. and my dad my the first thing that they did is they went to this beauty pageant uh -huh. and, um <laughs> and I had a friend that was in it you know so there were like people in the crowd that I knew I wasn't there but my dad came home the, that night or the next day and was like this guy is so fucking funny and crazy. And he made everyone in that pageant hall, like uncomfortable. And they threw <laughs> us out. Like the yeah. producers had to fly in with like cars and we jumped in and flew away. And I was just like, what the fuck, man? Like you're going to embarrass me in front of Taryn Foshi's mom. And Yeah. Yeah. You at that time, you didn't know that your dad was adjacent to comedic glory. You know, I do believe there's like a thing where, at a certain point you know especially if you're like a comedian you kind of are in touch with something very subversive and something very irreverent mm -hmm. and then somehow something happens and then you kind of become yourself lampoonable mm -hmm. and I think it happens to many 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 uh comedians who start taking they're drinking their own kool-aid and shit Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it happened to that guy, but you were pseudo adjacent to that moment in time where yeah. he was really hammering something interesting into the universe. Listen, I have some funny ass stories or my dad has some funny stories from shooting with Sasha, but my favorite one is this. Um, there's a section of maybe season two of the Ali G show where he's going around to uh, he's like, campaigning with this local politician in Mississippi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, he just makes this guy look like such an idiot. And it's so funny. And I loved that, that, that piece. And so years later, man, like, you know, my family uh, were big in the church when I was growing up. My uh -huh. dad, you know, he was working on lots of various kind of different projects with different types of people. He was always uh, a deacon at our church. So he was oh, a deacon? Wow. Yeah. So um, one day, uh, what's the difference between a deacon and a priest? Same. So a deacon is more like a layman. They're just kind of like uh, they talk religion, but they don't like live at the church. They're not. Right. Like, they're not they like. Just, they're like, let me offer some of religious knowledge I have, like formally on a Sunday, but like, do not come to me with your problems. But you could if you're desperate and you try the other guy. I would say they're like the henchmen of the church. Oh, right? the henchmen. Your dad's yeah. a, a Christian henchman. Okay, got they're it. The Christian henchman. So this was before I stopped going to church. And I remember I was like, man, I fucking know this guy from somewhere. Someone was joining the church with his family, right? Uh -huh. Started looking more and more. And I was like, that's the fucking politician that wow. my dad was with. And dude, I kid you not, whenever someone joined that church that we went to, the deacons are the first, the first people to go up and Thank, you know, welcome them. Take their hand, welcome in. At the end of the service. And so that guy is standing up there with his family and my dad goes up with the deacons. I saw this happen. And the de the guy is shaking all the deacons' hands, gets to my dad, realizes who my dad is and takes his hand down and puts it in his pocket and never <laughs> comes back to the church. Wow. Because he probably thought he was getting uh, pranked again. 
I know. He, he was thought, like, he, he literally he he like triggered back to like he had a flashback to the most horrifying moment of his life. Now, but so they have to get releases for those people, I bet you know. But those yeah, people, but, but, but you get them at the top because they don't know what they're it. getting into. Those producers of that show are like. I mean, those are maybe some of the more genius producers. In but don't you think there's something a little bit evil about that? Sure, but like, what what is evil too, Eugene? Like, I mean, I feel like... <laughs> what is the nature of evil? That's true. This is a great question we can solve here. No, I get it. Like, here's the deal. I do think the, the, the reason someone agrees to go on to a documentary or do an interview, right, is because they themselves are chasing attention or like to be famous or believe in the things that they're saying. Now, I think I've worked with a lot of like non-professionals and people who weren't very interested in being actors. Um, and I do, I have seen transformation in the last 15 years where I think when I started out, people were very amped to kind of like be on camera. And this is probably that Ali G era, like mm -hmm. the two, early 2000s, mid 2000s. People were super amped to like, kind of like get famous in a reality TV style or in a cinematic style. Um, because they would be like characters or important in the show or the movie or whatever. And, and then as we've all become kind of brand managers of our own personal corporations online, <laughs> people uh, I've noticed have become less and less comfortable allowing someone else to um, edit their brand, to edit them uh, and to be kind of, you know, a, collab a collaborative vessel for maybe someone else's perspective or someone else's story. And I personally, I, I, I hold that responsibility in a very serious light. And I always feel like I'm collaborating with people. I always feel like I want to cast them in a light that they understand and hopefully that they are proud of ultimately in the contribution of something that is potentially satirical or absurd or, or, or ugly. But, um, but that's a different mode than the the yeah. the, the, Bor the, the, the Borat and Ali G modes are inherently like kind of gotcha ish. Well, but I also wonder about like John Wilson, who I'm a big fan of, you know, mm -hmm. and he has mm -hmm. a kind heart, right? He's not really mm -hmm. trying to prank someone. Mm -hmm. That said, that's true. You know, he is putting people on blast in this way. That that's like, true. So I just that's what I mean about the ethics of what's evil and what's not when it comes to someone signing up. And I think you make a good point, like. I think as the years go on and, you know, we're the camera on our phone becomes more and more like a part of us and a part of our brand. Like you're mm -hmm. saying, I do think that there's a fair amount of skepticism now that didn't used to exist. Yeah, um, it's more said, because we've become accustomed to thinking of ourselves as as brands and thinking of every public facing kind mm -hmm. of um, post. Just, as, it's what? sort of like, isn't it sort of like... Um, I don't want to say sad, but it is like uninteresting. It is sad. No, it's yeah. super. It's super sad. It breeds a type of fear and conservatism that is, right. that is super sad and kind of narrow minded. I actually tried to talk to John about some of these ethical things on this very program, and uh, unfortunately, I am brain dead. Not the studio, just the description, and so I don't remember anything. But I do think he probably explained why he's still a nice guy and how it was all ethical, probably. So if anyone's interested in that, they can listen. Sorry, I know I'm super sidebarring. Last question. No, 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 that's fine. One movie of your dad's that I may have watched slash recommend to the listeners. Nothing? You know, Is again, it just like some HBO like kind of like thing from the 90s yeah. that no one's seen? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, one movie that you may have heard of. Or do you like? Which one do you like the best? 
of his besides the Borat shit. Um. Yeah, I guess you don't not really fan. I don't know. I mean, he he they made a film that won uh an award at Sundance in like ninety something called Prom Night in Mississippi with Morgan Freeman. Right, it's stuff like that, like Uh, these sort of HBO docs. Yes, it was an HBO doc. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, an interesting MTV films. Uh huh. When I was born, my dad was the photography and cinematography teacher coach to the crew of the Challenger for NASA. Oh my God. Was he going to go on that one or no? No, I wasn't going to go, but he, he was training them every day on how to do work with a 70 millimeter camera. And he also helped develop anti-gravity uh, 70 millimeter technology with Aerie and with NASA. He was a part of that equation. Wow. Do they and think that had anything at all to do with the disaster, it, the technology it, he developed? <laughs> fuck. Not funny. What, too, what too soon? <laughs> Too soon. Well, I think that happened the year I was born. So that must be, I was going to say 37. So are we the same age? 37? Yeah, yeah, I'm 37. And you want to take your hat off? Sure. We have the same hair. Well, you're cleaner, but. I'm a little cleaner right you're clean, now. You got clean as a whistle. You got clean as a whistle for your premiere, huh? That's right. Vincent Clair did the Q&A last night. And he who did? Vincent Clair, uh, who did high maintenance. Oh, got it. And he took his hat off and he said, we have the same forehead. And it turns out we really do. We have wow, all these, uh, all these indie auteurs, they, they really be mega-minding. All these balls. <laughs> no, they got, we all got mega-mind. Um, okay, okay, okay. So, you, oh, so he did the Challenger thing and then he thought it was pretty. Were you born on the day of the Challenger? I was off? born on the second. The Challenger exploded, like, I don't remember what date, but like less than a month later. And I think mm. that was really devastating for him. They yeah. were really close um and from there like you know my dad built a company based off of a piece of gear in the 90s called the jimmy jib oh i've heard of that it's a jib arm it's a little jib arm that's that's right this was before the super techno crane and um yeah i mean he just because he was kind of like a little known in that community like he was the first person in the southeast or the south or maybe I don't know where, but like they gave him the jib and then he was making a lot of stuff with that for a very long time. And he's yeah, I mean, but that's a normal, that's a normal thing. Like when, like, like Michael Chapman, one of the great uh, yeah. cinematographers, you know, the innovated and all those Steadicam guys, they basically invented gear and that's, that's, you know, that's right. It yeah. works. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you grew up around movies. You remember the first movie you saw where you were like, Oh, this is really, I love this. Cause yeah. my parents hate it. My parents hate Freddie. Oh, but I love movie. it. Okay. Well, whatever, or whatever it is, whatever. I'm not trying to project an experience on you. Just tell me what it is. The first movie I remember loving, like I saw wizard of Oz in the theater when I was like four, they did like a re. Um, All right. I don't, we don't care about the stupid little baby. Yeah, fuck that shit. Get, get first- a little older. I remember uh, the first time I saw Tits was the Puppet Master series. I got it. That's that horror film with the evil little kind of like puppets that come to life. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and been going on for decades, that series. Is it still going? Yeah, there was one a few years ago, I think, where it's like Nazis. They're Nazis or something. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, Actually, let me look so it up. Weird that I, I feel like, let me just backtrack eugene yep, you called back. me out for mentioning wizard of oz and then i wanted to come back with something a little bit salacious so I yeah said, yeah yeah i get it I you wanted to be a cool guy this. i'm sorry to the audience i'm sorry to my mom i'm sorry david, to God. your mom ain't listening to this buddy david De- okay 
The Puppet Master series is made by a guy named David Dakota. Maybe I should have him on the show as well. He has made, as per Letterboxd, 165 films. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Damn. Good job. Okay. So this is from, here's one from 2022. Puppet Master, Trunk Full of Terror. Trump Full of Terror? Trunk. Oh, this is just, it's just a clip reel. Okay. Before that, he made one called, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. Hey, this is a pretty interesting filmography. The Wrong House Sitter, Christmas Matchmakers, The Wrong Mommy, The Wrong Boy Next Door. Wow, there's a whole wrong thing going on here. The Wrong Cruise, The Wrong Man. This is awesome. The Wrong Student, bro. The Wrong Crush. This shit is crazy. This stuff is fucking nuts. The Wrong Roommate, The Wrong Child. Oh my God, David Dakota is genius. <laughs> I'm I'm looking I'm looking for the the latest uh, Puppet Master, but I don't I don't quite see it. But I, I assure you, there is one with like puppet Nazis. Um, okay, yeah. All right, sorry about that. Sorry about that, David Dakota detour. David the detour. Okay, Puppet Master. So you watched it with a bunch of, of friends in the basement? Or yeah, something? watched it with a bunch of friends. I remember my parents were somewhat strict on what I was allowed to watch uh, up until a certain age, right? So I couldn't really watch like R-rated movies until I was 13 or 14 or something. And Morgan Freeman ever come around the house when you were a kid? Who? Morgan Freeman. No. He just did the VO kind of from LA. <laughs> yeah, he was in that. I actually... Uh, sorry if you're listening to that. I've never watched Prom Night in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's in it. I'm not sure. But, yeah, uh, he's actually in it. He's dancing with the prom queen. He's he's like, he said, excuse me, son. Let me uh, get in here. They, they and then, cut to the DJ uh, table and he's up there scratching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's playing in the, all, in the band. He's like singing. He's playing guitar. And then he's also like a teacher. It's actually like the kind of John Malkovich thing where... Freeman plays all the people. And actually, it's isn't a doc. Like actually, you fucked up not watching your dad's <laughs> awesome fucking surrealist doc. I did, man. He They were also pulling from Michelle Pfeiffer and Dangerous Minds. Like, you know, he's there to kind of make right wrong, what's wrong with these students. And then he's introspective and learning about himself. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, well, were you ever referencing Dangerous Mind? There's also a movie called Stand and Deliver. With yeah, James I know Stand almost, and Deliver. Which is, and also there's one with... um. Morgan Freeman, I forget what that one's called, but there it's a similar thing. He plays like a principal or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stand there is there is one with Morgan Freeman. What's that one called? I'll I have to move away from the David Dakota uh filmography <laughs> yeah. filmography and just go to but okay, okay, okay. So let me riddle me this. So you're watching Puppet Master, blah blah blah, but at a certain point, yeah, oh, um, you probably watched a movie where you're like, wow, film is not just a medium to see. Uh, breasticles or whatever or to get scared or maybe scared is good but wow this is like a real piece of art what would that kind of movie be dude i could go pretty far back uh yeah. before yeah. i was really into like kind of world cinema or like classic mm -hmm. cinema directors yeah. when i was a kid dude i remember this is just coming to me now yeah let's hear it watching I remember watching this Robin Williams movie called What Dreams May Come. Right. I remember seeing that too as a kid. Bro, that kind of, I feel like that paved the way for my love of like Fellini. I'm not kidding. You know uh, what I mean? So you, you loved how powerful it was. I mean, honestly, What Dreams May Come, that plot line is almost identical to the worst part of the movie called Inception, 
where he constantly keeps going to like that scary uh -huh. city slash house where he has to like reconnect with like Marion Cotillard or whoever his like wife yeah, is. Yeah. It's actually the same movie. And actually what dreams may come is way more creative. It has way yeah. more world world building. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. Also, you know, what's another thing that I feel like is still prevalent in my life. Like, this might sound really corny to say, dude, but I feel uh, like let's hear it. I love you corny. relate to it because you're so prolific, Eugene. I'm not really, um, but keep going. I love inspiration, and I don't mean that in the sense of like an inspirational like message. No, I mean there's I love, an inspirational message. Yeah, this is the movie. Who's the, who's the oh? Lean this on is the me. this is his version. Lean on me. I, it's kind of like Stand by Me, but it's Lean on right. Me. When Principal Joe Clark takes over decaying Eastside High School. He's faced with students wearing gang colors and graffiti-covered walls. Determined yeah. to do anything, he must to turn the school around, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's directed by John G. Avildsen, the director of Rocky. So you know it's inspiring. Okay. You know it's Speaking inspiring, of inspiration, yeah. I thought that would apply. That so good. yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me, I've got to finish the inspiration point or I'm going to yeah, say like. Finish your point. He said like. I think that it's it's not about like an inspirational message or like a human thing. No, I'm I'm looking for energy, and I always yeah 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 me too. I love basketball, Kobe. Uh -huh. I love Kobe, like that kind you of love shit. Kobe, like, okay. Back on on my kind of get up and go attitude. And we were talking about how do you make a feature with nothing, yeah. and we can go back to that. But I, I want to mention one more movie that was super inspiring to me as a kid. Like, uh huh really into karate my dad is a twin so donnie and ronnie uh -huh. and then, uh, ronnie has a son named Petey, mm -hmm. and Petey is like my brother like we're close yeah. to brothers and you're we, an only child i have two younger brothers but Petey and i are close in age yeah so you guys us four like, did karate for like four or five years from like wow. eight to, uh, i quit when i was like 12 and they kind of kept going for a is little it because while. you got a little bit fat or because you thought it was gay of both i thought i was gay and i was starting to get pudgy and i was like yeah. you know what i'm hitting up the gi now that's what we call yeah. the album. yeah i know i know i did karate i got a little bit fat so i stopped actually there was a different reason too but we weren't gonna get into it yeah maybe we should get into that at some point off the record no no i mean really the, the thing was that we we moved away from the from brooklyn to the suburbs when i was like 12 like um then we couldn't afford like the karate in the suburbs a little way more expensive yeah and that was a secret relief for me because i was really scared that i would have to do something where i like did stuff broke stuff bricks you know i was great you know the early on you just <laughs> jump over a sword and then you break some pieces <laughs> of wood i'm good with breaking pieces of wood and like jumping over a sword uh, but kind of yeah. like getting sliced with the sword and like smashing bricks and stuff i just got super scared balls so yeah. so yeah so you and pd and your daddies <laughs> did that uh-huh we're doing karate and uh, a movie that really motivated me was only the strong what is that holy shit it's about papaweta about who okay it's a brazilian style of karate dude. oh nice is it a brazilian uh, film or an american film it's an american film featuring some brazilian actors and um mm. anyway we would watch only the strong mm. on fucking repeat dude and that was way before streaming and uh, obviously it was yeah yeah but what do you mean by that days. it was before streaming. these yeah. were video store days and so we would just regularly like rent a movie yeah and then because only the strong was like on the old rack already we would just pick that up too and just it, it, it does beg the question of like I, and i know many people have did that i didn't really do that as a kid but i know many people who did do that it always begs the question why not just buy a copy of only the strong? we couldn't find one 
We couldn't right. find only the video store. The internet. It wasn't right. There was no Walmart. internet. Here like, it is. Here it is. Only the strong, starring Mark DeCascos and Paco Christian Prieto. Yeah, these are kind of Brazilian superstars. Mm -hmm. Although yeah. actually, Mark DeCascos was born in the U.S., so he's uh -huh. not. But Paco Christian Prieto. Oh, he's like the villain in Lionheart, huh? That's oh, cool. fuck, that's right. That's right. And I love yeah. Lionheart. That's actually my So, yeah, all, like, Russian movie. immigrants, all Soviet immigrants, they love, like, the Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal movies. So, as a kid, I saw Lionheart a lot, and I love that movie. That actually might be one of his best when they fight in the I agree. pool. Yes. Yeah. That's my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme, and I loved him as a kid, too. Yeah. He and Steven Seagal and even, like, Chuck Norris, weirdly. Yeah. Really. They were like deep into the karate world for real. Yeah, you no, know? I know. Yeah, they really knew it, what to do. Yeah. Um, yeah okay, okay. So you watched that, Only the Strong Energy. Yeah. I agree that actually, I totally agree. Like sometimes I'll watch a movie that is extremely bleak or extremely depressing or sad or whatever, the subject matter wise. But if the filmmaking is like kind of like just like going for your throat and stuff, I walk out of that theater extremely like energetic and like pumped mm -hmm. and like just super into the film, like, yeah, just super into like, like the energy that the film gave yeah. me, even though I'm not exactly talking about Schindler's List because that like will really make you cry, but mm -hmm. stuff kind of like that. <laughs> and maybe even Schindler's List, like, you know. What about like, Life is Beautiful? What did you say to me? What about life? Life is beautiful. Oh, I haven't rewatched that since I saw it with my dad as like a twelve-year-old. But I, I remember I, honestly, I was kind of at that point already, like kind of like like Clockwork Orange and Taxi Driver pilled. So mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, going to see that with my dad, I was, I was like, that movie, <laughs> that movie's like, and like even though like I had cried and my dad, yes, like, it, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like. That, that movie's for losers. <laughs> yeah, you, know? Yeah. you know what I mean? I was like, I could just tell it was like for losers. But then when you watch the, I watched the Academy Awards and actually when you brought up when, when, What Dreams May Come, I remember distinctly Academy Awards of that year. Yeah. And I, rem I remember Whoopi Goldberg making a joke where she goes, wet dreams may come. And she said, she said, wet dreams may come on ABC right. Channel 7. And I just remember thinking, that is so funny. Like Whoopi Goldberg is like the funniest comedian what for saying to that. Whoopi, dude? She, she started hosting. Well, I wrote a role for her in a movie that um, a few years ago with my buddy Andy, and that we keep trying to get this movie made. We probably never get made, but it was basically like a mixture between her character in Ghost mm -hmm. and her and her role as the host of The View. It was like synthesizing oh. those two things. And in it, and by at the end of the first act, her character gets canceled. And this was about like a year and a half before Whoopi actually got kind of canceled for saying like something like, oh, the Nazis didn't think about race or whatever right. she got canceled for. Right. And um, luckily it didn't super stick because like whatever, people can say stupid shit or whatever they want. They shouldn't yeah. have to like suffer forever. But um, but I, I was saying to Andy, I'm like, it would have been great if we'd gotten her the script like before all that, just so she could see how to deal with it. You know, because uh -huh. we had kind of pre-configured like what would happen, how to deal with the fallout yeah. and all this, all these jokes and stuff. Yeah. She um, used to just be such a powerhouse actor. Like and I mean, and she is a she is a great actress, I think. She is. I, I just don't um you know, everyone like I was saying about Ali G and, and Sasha Grant Combs, like everybody kind of has their moment, especially comedians where they are culturally relevant. You kind of got to give it up to someone like 
even though he's a psycho now, but like in a good way, you got to kind of give it up to someone like Jim Carrey, who just oh, yeah. realized like, okay, I mean, if you look at that Jim Carrey run from like 1994 to like 2005 or something, but that right. is unmatched, you know what I mean? And he just said, you know, I'm just going to like kind of chill out on this shit. I'm going to hang it up. I'm going to do a movie every now and then, but I'll just be like a kooky guy in the culture now. Who's someone else that has been able to sustain that in comedy, do you think? Who has been, well, I think when you have like your own brand, I mean, this isn't exactly like a quote unquote comedian, but like, you know, Woody Allen started as a comedian. I think if you have your own brand or voice or like Larry David or someone yeah. kind of stayed relevant over the course of maybe three decades, yeah. you know, I mean, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. You do have to kind of switch it up. Uh, not, not a lot of people are coming to me off the top of my head. I mean, Charlie Chaplin, right? He went yeah. from the, the teens to about 1940. And then he yeah. was kind of canceled for being like, whatever, for being basically a leftist. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you can make it basically three decades of comedy, I would say like Will Ferrell, had a, Adam Sandler, obviously. He, yeah. That's a kind of controversial hot take, but there are still like diehard Adam Sandler fans. Totally. Um, and then there are also people who think Adam Sandler never had his finger on the pulse of comedy. You know, there are people out there who don't think that like Happy Gilmore or something like that is good. Um, and did you like those movies when you were growing up? I I, I loved, uh, yeah, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. But to me, you see, the thing was like, I liked those movies. Then I got into like kind of a quote unquote arty movies. And I remember one time I took my parents who had, I think, taken me to see... Well, my stepdad and my mom had taken me to see, I think, Happy Gilmore with my brother. And then maybe like a year or two later, I took them to see Rushmore. Mm. And like, I love Rushmore. And I thought it was like so funny and cool and good. Yeah. And they fell asleep during it. <laughs> and then to me, I was like, well, that's just like the same as like Happy Gilmore. And they're like, no, it's not. Right. <laughs> like, it's not funny i'm like it is funny and it has cooler music you, you don't right. get it <laughs> you right, right, right right yeah um but i do think like yeah those early sandler movies they have lots of visual ideas and ga gags yeah. they're very much in the tradition of like jerry lewis and stuff. totally yeah yeah um okay okay so so wet dreams may come uh-huh energy energy is a good answer right like the energy oh, yeah. of something i think that is a universal language like the kind of like excitement and flow and rhythm of Dude, even like the music that i used to be interested in as a kid like if it didn't feel like something i could run out onto the football field ready to play a game to i was not fucking with it i was into like hard like this was when i was a kid before i was like in a music scene but i was into like hard rock or like yeah, hard rock, of course. Like jock, like jock jams. Did or they like, have? Uh huh. That's a little bit. Or like three six and like cash uh -huh. money, all that kind of yeah, southern cash rap. money records. That's kind of local to where did you grow up, Mississippi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Mississippi, so like I'm in the center point of like. I mean, we're basically a hub city from Memphis and New Orleans, and then Atlanta is just right up here. So there's a a well cross triangulation. That's right. There's just like so much good fucking hip hop from where I'm from. And I have a I have a longstanding uh, argument with some people in my family that uh, from my wife's family that are from here. They're like, yeah, L.A. rap is better. Like West Coast rap is better. And I'm like, are you fucking hitting me? I don't want to get right. into rap on this podcast, but like, yeah, we probably probably shouldn't because these sorts of arguments and debates and stuff, they are uh, as old as time. 
They're like, you know, Mr. Bible versus Mr. Quran. Okay. Okay. You represent all of the Southern rap interests and and we do, do, and we do respect you as a stand of that musical Mm -hmm. uh, genre and scene. Um, Now, one thing you said you run out onto the field. One thing I've been reading in a lot of different uh, director, uh, well-known bios and Wikipedia's, all these directors are having asthma. Think about that as kids. Oh. Uh, a lot of directors be having asthma. That ever well, register with you? I have. I had insane asthma and still do. Oh, you I'm do, like, dude! Yeah, I do. Congratulations. Well, why are you saying you're running out into the football field with asthma? You have. What's going on? Important phone call. Don't don't. Oh, you're showing me. He just. If you if you're only listening at home, he just took a suck of his inhaler. I didn't make a noise though. Why is that? It did. You just didn't hear oh it. the microphones on these zooms yeah. was just really they kind of um, like, you know, they hear just... environmental noise and they just right they hear it and they squash it they squash um, it it was something i dealt with really heavily as a kid man um again so that is probably why you're a filmmaker that's the filmmaker that's the number one telltale sign someone's gonna be a filmmaker if they you have, have asthma no i don't that's why i'm like a hack i'm like a fake you know yeah. i'll that ne- i'll never be a real filmmaker like 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 Martin Scorsese, Walter oh, Hill, yeah. Walter oh, yeah. Hill, prob- probably Ari Aster, uh, Teddy he Roosevelt, like Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt, and you. Those are the great <laughs> filmmakers of all time. Um, okay, okay. So so okay, you made okay. Oh, wow, we're really all over the place. I okay. like it though. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So then, would you go to film school or something? No. What'd you do? Did you go to no, college? I, um... No, I you didn't go to college. That's cool. 18 no. years old. I, well, I went to a year of community college and I was playing drums in some different bands and music then, lover. huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then one band got signed. Was it influenced more by uh, the Grateful Dead, more no. by the Strokes or was it Godsmack? What was the main oh. kind of vibe of the band? Our band was very like this was around the time of Franz Ferdinand or like VHS or Beta. So like I, we were playing a lot of like disco. Be- like I was playing a lot of Four to the Floor as a drummer. Yeah, one could one could make the argument that that in a way was at the very least, if not influenced by the Strokes, only made possible sure. by the emergence of the band called the Strokes. Uh, sure. I you can, you can, you that. can make a straight line between you the that. You... and Franz Ferdinand and your band, which was called Joan Zetta. Joan Zetta, mm-hmm. kind of a poor name, don't you think? In retrospect, that's not a great name at all. And we're honestly like, I'm, I'm. Uh, those were formidable moments. I didn't go to college. I was just living in a van for four years. Like, <laughs> tour, but that's the type that... of. Oh, you played the Warp Tour. We did that. Wow, uh, it's kind of. Oh, I see. Series. It's kind of. I get it. It's like the emo contingent of like guys who liked um, Franz Ferdinand, but like there's an emo element or something. So what what happened with us is not even like I feel like we were assigned to a label that was very emo and like metal. Have yeah. you ever heard of a band called Under Oath? A band called Under Oath? Yes. Yeah. So this was on this was the same label as Under Oath. So what we was the label called? Tooth and Nail Records. I yeah, I remember that because I made some docs about the Long Island emo scene, so I'm familiar. Oh with yeah. yeah. Oh, you damn. Um, we toured with uh, Straylight. Who was from Long Island? Straylight Run. That is literally the band that I made a documentary uh, about for MTV Two. It was like the first time I ever got paid to do anything, 
and it aired on MTV two. And I was like 18 years old. And I literally, for the next, like probably till I made spree, that was the most money I'd ever made on a single project. <laughs> that was like, I was the director of, you know, we did a tour yeah. with Straylight run and uh, those guys were really, really nice. They're super nice, which ultimately in, in the kind of grand lineage of, music docs like i remember actually before editing that one i was like this was extremely hard to do this was probably um 2002 or three i was like i'm gonna download like i heard about this one called cocksucker blues you know oh, the, yeah. the, yeah. the robert yeah. frank um uh, rolling stones doc that was like you couldn't watch it or anything and i uh -huh. did find a way to like download it off kazaa and it yeah. took me like three days and I watched it. I was like, I'm going to make mine like this. And then actually it was just totally nothing. It was Can absolutely. Find that Straylight Run doc online that you made? Probably not. So here's the deal. It was like the doc I made was on, came with their like CD or something. Their debut CD. And then the actual thing that was an MTV2 was kind of like a sh just a concert that I filmed with like like literally i think two cameras or maybe three but yeah. really boring completely not creative anyway and i wanted to put in like interstitial like behind the scenes stuff sort of like the last waltz which is another movie that yeah. i was like i'll watch this and yeah. they were like no we have like 22 minutes to like show this concert and it's just going to be these five songs so right that, that wasn't the band it was like the the producer mtv2 or whatever it was extremely like random I'm just uh, looking at a photo of them now. I forgot what they look like. And dude, they were so nice. And also They're um, super nice. John Nolan. Was in Taking Back Sunday, right? Yeah, like, John was in Taking Back Sunday. Like, like this is, you know, I I, not, I never listened to this music. I was friends with a girl named Laura Kerr. She was going out with John. And John, John, I think. Sean. Sh Sean was the, the bassist, but John. Okay, okay. John okay. Nolan, he was in um, Taking Back Sunday. And he, uh, they broke off because that band, and I'd never been to any of the shows. And then I just like said, I met him one time. I said, hey, like, are you trying to document like the new band or something? He's like, that'd be cool. And I said, yeah. And I showed him some of my photographs. And um, wow. and then this, I, I came to the recording session upstate New York and followed him around for a while. And can we talk yeah. about this for a moment? Like, have you done other music documentaries? I actually, when I moved to LA, well, when I moved to LA, I started this project where I reached out to all these bands and I was like, could I just make like a video of you like sitting on a couch for like two minutes? And mm -hmm. no one said yes. Everyone thought it was really weird. But I was like kind of trying to like connect with bands that I like and do a kind of Warhol like kind of screen test thing. Cool, yeah. And honestly, looking back at now, it would be cool because... Yeah many of those bands don't exist and i thought they were cool like mm -hmm. and one of the bands i connected with closely was called ape vagoda i don't know if you remember oh, yeah that. I, I remember ape, uh juan that's juan's band yeah right? exactly juan and michael and a few other guys and um i went on sort of went on a few like tour dates with them like san francisco and um like san diego and in the recording cool. studio and i had all that footage and actually, I think that hard drive, and I shot it on VHS because I wanted to do that other project on VHS and Super 8. And I think the hard drive like fell that had all the footage. And then I ended up putting it like in a freezer and I plugged uh -huh. it in one time. Like, I almost got it off, but I didn't. Uh, 
And so nothing ever, and then by the time I kind of figured out, oh, I could just edit it from this other footage that I have the raw tapes, I can re like capture them and stuff. Uh, the band broke up. Yeah. So then it was kind of like, but really the, do the document of that time is the soundtrack of Zeros and Ones. So Zeros and Ones, my first movie, has all those bands. Ape Pagoda, Mika Miko, right. uh, No Age, Ariel Payne, Jeremy J, a bunch of like a bunch of also random bands I saw at the Smell like one time like yeah, Okie Dokie or I played um, the Smell. We played this, but not nice with boss. that band. I played with uh, Dent May. Do you know Dent May? Yeah, I know Dent. He's a really yeah. nice guy. So yeah. uh, music docs. That's kind of the extent of it. Um, okay. Just those. Thanks. How about you? Did you make any music docs? I mean, isn't that what that's you... That's how I've sustained myself. Like, I mean, that's that, how yeah. I... So tell us, so you got a job, you run it, or you're the producer or the director no. of, I think, what is it? Tell, is no, it called Yours I, Truly, right? Yeah, I work, I work with Yours Truly often. We used to share an office space in downtown uh, LA before the pandemic for five years. How were you sustaining yourself before the shorts, the sequence shorts? You moved to New York. From the south. York, I moved to New York. I was broke as shit. My parents were going through a divorce, like, randomly. The, the band did not generate a ton of savings for you, right? Oh, hell fucking no. In fact, like, it really pissed me off, like, the way that we were treated by certain people. We were young, and those folks were, like, probably our age now, like, in their 30s, 40s. We were really, like, uh, used and abused, I felt. How were you supposed to be treated? Well, I just think with a little bit more transparency, I think that there was a lot of backdoor uh, handshake deals going on without us knowing. I think that uh, some certain funds in our publishing accounts were funneled out. I think that there was some pretty nefarious things going on. And I'm not. Let me tell you one. Let me tell you one thing. Yeah, I expect nothing from nobody. And that's why I know I am the only one responsible for my own misery. It's a great way to live. But did you learn that though through living? I did. I just learned that from being like a, like a weird Jew who like has the Jewish survival DNA, and probably from like kind of growing up like in a in project housing for a while and thinking like, oh yeah. yeah, I don't expect anything from anyone. Any any good thing that happens is like awesome, and any bad thing that happens is like baseline normal. I like to think that I'm that. Uh, I'm I'm at a pretty close place to that now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you are. I, I of course with age you can look back and be like, oh, that was fucked up, and uh, you're right. totally in, you're totally within your rights to be critical yeah. of that. And of right. course, of course, the valuable lesson there is that now that we are the age of the people who you you know like we're not fair and square, you can enact fairness and equity, I think so. equity and respect for anyone you work with, especially right. younger people. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the way I was sustaining myself, uh, I moved back to Mississippi to make my first short film. I was like 22. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I got a call from a friend saying that he was going to make uh, a documentary series for Complex Magazine. And would I come wow. and kind of mm -hmm. co-direct this with him or edit? And, and Why edit. did they know that you could do that? Because he just knew, like we had hung out before and he knew my like love for music. He knew my history with playing in bands. And he knew that I loved hip hop, you know? And so this was a series called Magnum Opus and it was about hip hop stars first big song. So it was oh, like, I, cool. today was a good day. Like Busta Rhymes, put your hands where my eyes can see. Yeah, these are all great songs. Now, but 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 were you handling the camera or you were oh. asking the questions or what were you, what was your, 
how did he know you could do a film? I guess is my question. He had seen my first short films. Oh, I see. I was in the process of making sequence already. And he had seen some of the like rushes from that. And I think he was just like, you know, Alex is young and kind of has this energy and we don't have that much money, but like I can pay him. Yeah, and, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I lived on his couch in San Francisco in the mission for you know, like a long ass time while we were editing, it took two years to make six 30 minute, 30 ish minute episodes, you know? Wow. Because so it was, it was because it, it was basically hired out by Complex, but the actual creation of it was pretty DIY. Is that the Very idea? DIY. Dude, we did not have that much money. Like, yeah, yeah. And there was no one like on their team who was actually working on it. It was just someone giving you feedback. Just feedback. From their editorial staff. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a real crash course in like, uh, a lot, I learned a lot of lessons through that. And from there, I met the guys from Yours Truly who were, they had a channel on Pitchfork at the time. They were doing a lot of Blogotech type videos. And um, they that's saw- like, That's and, like the one where they like are in the back of a car with a musician and they're like yeah, playing I, an acoustic guitar. And then they like right. step out into the streets of Paris. Right. And, and th- th- that, so that's Blogotech, right? Or something. That's Blogotech. And, and then Yours Truly is kind of the American version of that. Where yeah. people like are in the back of a tractor and they're playing yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the what they're playing the, the what do you what do you, bong the bongos right. and then they jump off the tractor and they get stuck in the in the threshing. Uh huh. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Working with them, uh, I, I was able to make to kind of continue that and sustain myself, like like making money doing music type documentaries, basically like commercial projects for brands, right? So yeah. like mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not always the craziest most sexy like type of stuff but i've i've gotten to work with some really great musicians who some i've become really good friends with like dom from mount kimby came to dogleg the other night i did mm-hmm. a thing with them and kamasi washington became a good friend through doing that stuff um i'm not trying to name drop musicians I'm just well saying- you're not name dropping for me i don't know who either of those people are so, <laughs> so, so, i guess I just, I just don't know anything about music i guess <laughs> I, 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 I like old music i don't know the only new band i like is called 100 gets or something I oh know. hell yeah i love them steve steve smith just did those new videos i know he did they hit me up to be in it so i came by and oh, I, said, I, I dropped everything i was doing i said of course i'll be in the video you would have been great in those videos as it angry well let's see let's see i haven't seen it yet but i did sign a release form so oh, you're see. in it oh yeah i went to the shoot oh, i dropped yeah. everything i was doing and i went oh. to the shoot Oh, um, nice. Not that I was doing a ton, but I was doing some things. Um, so yeah, let's see. You know those girls from Forever Magazine? I do. Yeah, uh, they're they're uh, putting on a screening in New York and then uh, throwing their launch for their new. I know. Issue. I saw that. I didn't see that before I asked you to come on the show, but I, I saw that after. Like they're combining their issue launch with your screening, right? That's fun. So they were trying to get 100 Gex to play that, but they're on tour. That, that's not going to happen. They're fucking on tour. I know. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of one of the songs on the new album. I just keep playing a repeat called Frog on the Floor. It's like a fourth uh-huh. wave ska type song. I mean, wow. they really are going through a lot of like late 90s to oh. mid 2000s genres in this new album. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, for me, mixed uh effect but when it hits it hits really good oh no doubt and um, it does feel a lot more like 
Yeah, it feels like some of their earlier stuff. I can't pretend like I'm the biggest 100 Gex fan. I like them. But some of the older stuff that I've heard uh, doesn't feel like it's referencing some old scene. It feels like it's trying to do something noisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think this new album is very much almost like a weird, not like a standards album, but it is kind of like we're going to bring back this music that we love mm -hmm. and totally recombinate it. Um, and I think that's also a worthy project and stuff. But anyway, you're, you got very close to musicians. You're supporting yourself by doing this yours truly thing. And what are you you're producing? You're directing, you're doing both. Uh, both and editing. I mean, I, I typically do It's like a, a one-man show. No, 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 no. I typically do a certain type of producing. There's there's producing jobs that I cannot do. Yeah. Um, but like putting pieces together with like the crew or kind of producery like pre-production stuff, I, I like to have my hand in some of that. What but couldn't no, you do? You couldn't. You couldn't do like, for instance, you know, Tom Cruise trying to make that movie in space. You probably couldn't do that. We'll see. Well, especially with your family's connection to the challenger, exactly. we got the whole. They, they, they wouldn't even let you. Even if you could do it, they wouldn't even let you near it. Me and Morgan Freeman going into <laughs> yeah with some degenerate kids that have gang rags on. Um, yeah, well, that was the first thing that Morgan Freeman did in Lean on Me. He actually expelled and suspended many of the kids who were in gangs and in, in dealing drugs and stuff and then he made the school a safer environment so he could what happened to those kids that he kicked out there yeah exactly he didn't have much compassion for them did they well ultimately they came back i've read a book called the wave mm -mm. uh this is just a book that kids couldn't quite understand how nazi germany happened so then this one teacher introduced special uh in a special club called the wave and it had a, a little symbol where you go like this where you tap your chest and you make like this wave like press yeah. um anyway thought maybe you'd read it um mm -hmm. so okay so yours truly and then you're meeting as you make these things you must be meeting cinematographers and yeah. editors and i really the first time i ever heard about you was through my sound mixer sound genius jake viator yeah like right? because you work with him a bit huh i work with jake a lot and those productions, man, they typically have money, right? So like we can- How do they get the money? Just because it's brand. Branded, it's so it's like Adidas yeah. or Spotify or Red Bull. And um, at different times, different companies have, have like spent lots of marketing money on many documentaries that they can chop up and use in social media contexts, like with different sizes. So there's- That like stuff is- that stuff's sort of falling apart, right? Because recently, it is. They, recently they just realized like, hey, why don't we just give like- this person who has like a million followers on TikTok, yeah. like some money to like drink Mountain Dew or like to like wear these True. headphones. All and of this branded stuff has a short shelf life that will last for a little while and that will change. I, I don't know what's happening, but I don't care either. Like I need to make money and I have had only so many options up to this point. I would have loved to have been like directing a fucking Sprite commercial and been like laced out. No, no, no. I get no, I get it. I guess I'm just uh, commenting not on the ethics or the like pleasure you get from the thing. I just making observation that I yeah, have you have you have you noticed definitely that, has that fallen apart a little bit over the last 18 months? Has there been less money in a kind of more traditional not traditional, but like more 20 teen style branding um projects because they're just funneling the money straight to the quote unquote creators to like just yeah. So are, yeah. you are you worried financially? Um, I am shifting. You know what yeah. I mean? 
I'm are you shifting into more old school hardcore commercial director doing the spread? No, no, no. I'm, 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 sh I'm wanting to just act for a while. Like, and that's kind of crazy because I'm older and bald. And um, I know that that's like not necessarily the smartest thing on paper, but I can't. But you are a good actor. That is also. So I heard about you from Jake, but then I saw you in some of, I think, Chris Borgley's shorts and you were cracking me the fuck up. You have a really good comedic energy that is kind of unassuming because you you're kind of dry, you know. And but but let's be real here. Let's be real here. How are you gonna fucking support yourself through acting? Do you already have some roles lined up? Because yeah. other other people like me saw those shorts and maybe saw your new film and they think, damn, this guy he could be the next Jill Farrell. Jill Farrell? I mean Will Farrell. I uh, gotcha, gotcha. I, uh, yeah, I do have a few things lined up and I don't know how that's going to work out, man. But I just know that like, I, I am worried about the finances of like how I'm, I will sustain my family and myself, but you have, you have a child. Yeah. That is beautiful. What is the age of your child? This is wow. Awesome. Wow. Cute. Is that a guy or a girl? It's a guy. Nice. What's his name? Uh, Ozzy. His Ozzie. name is Henry Ozell Wexler Warren. Wow. Um, fun fact, Pascal Wexler was my uh, wife's Grand uncle. Yeah, he's her, her grandfather's brother. He's a um, her father's brother. Father's brother. And he, he's my he, dad's favorite filmmaker. My dad he was is an extremely iconoclastic uh, filmmaker who sure. really... Uh, what do you call that uh, beat to a different drum oh yeah and do you like that movie he made the one he directed called medium, medium cool. cool oh i love it i mean of course i love that stuff i i really like i mean and that goes back into my like love for like jackass or like borat like and i, I like that about your work as well um the ability to kind of have like a little code with your team and then go out into the world and mm. see like what the world kicks back on you and you and the team have this little small enclave of like yeah. how we're going to react with that. I think dog lag really um, shines. Did you do that? Did you yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I think it shines in those moments. Um, so I don't so really. So you have some interaction because I, I did, I, I did watch the first five minutes and it seems very controlled you know, when I told you, hey, don't come on for five minutes. Wait a second. It's because I it's because I realized I did have your email and you had sent me the screener. And I was yeah. like, oh, fuck me. Oh. Um, I like the movie. I don't want to say too much so people can watch it and experience it themselves. But for me, watching it publicly for the first few times. Yeah, how'd that feel? Dude, so good. And like, I do think that the movie has a very interesting rhythm to it. Like somebody told me the other night, it almost starts out as like almost a mumblecore movie. Yeah. And then it goes into this kind of like after hours Scorsese kind of wild romp. And I, I appreciate that. Um, it's, does, it's does, it, does it, does it, when you say after hours Scorsese, does it take on this very kind of intense and kinetic visual energy? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Okay. Because the first five minutes, they have a kind of yeah. like a, a very intentional, it's not like random, but a very intentional kind of static. Yeah. quality to the shots and to the compositions and stuff and Our boy I can... morgan krantz came last night and he said right. a really nice thing he was like i hate movies that start out with like this idiosyncratic scene 
And then from there, it just gets worse and worse and they have to tie it up. And he was very kind. And he was like, your movie does almost the opposite. Like it builds on something that's seemingly uh, mundane normal, or something. mundane. Right. And then it, it reaches this kind of climax sure. and uh-huh. uh, it has been super fun to watch it with audiences, man. Really, really, really like, like a, a really deeply satisfying after working on it for so long at this very desk yeah just on computer with people yeah that man of course free or for very cheap over the years being like what's going on with dog leg like what's going on with the movie you know of course like- is it is it, so so did you okay so someone came to you and said we give you a little money to make your movie then that person disappeared you had already written the script with your buddy uh, mr bible mike bible and you like the script and then so what's the next step you said i'm gonna go somewhere else to find money or i'm just gonna keep grinding and working and and rip off you know 25 percent of my paycheck every week every job so that i can then shoot it on a weekend or shoot it yeah Yeah. it was that i mean we the money fell through and then bob from yours truly and i kind of they had a lot of work at the time and he was Uh like uh i'll kick you as much work as you can take and then we'll split every paycheck and then I'll supplement, you know, what you can't cover. And so that's how we, oh, did. So, so, so they produced the film basically. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. Oh, Got it. Um, we wanted it to be like a slacker style movie initially. So we made six short films and I'll come back to Chris, but I'll say this first. Um, we made these six short films. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, we were kind of left with these pieces that we were starting to question like what, can keep the audience interested like so you made these six short films star you as the central character oh i see unrelated to dogleg yes it was automatic everything at the time that was the name of the film and that was more of a mantra like automatically everything that we need will come to us it was almost like a wish and Uh uh, we got these six films and uh and then the pandemic happened. Okay, so back to Chris. I was interviewing or auditioning kind of comedians around LA. And Chris and I had just become friends like a year before. This was in 2019. I went and got a drink with him after I met a comedian. And I was like, man, it's kind of hard because I'm a fan of some of these guys with their stand-up work. But I'm meeting them and sitting across from them and I'm feeling nothing. Like, I'm yeah, not laughing. They're, they're not, not funny. Fun. Yeah. I'm not sure I can do what I want to do with them on set. And Chris was like, well, you should just cast me. And I was like, I mean, but you're not really an actor. But then I'd seen Drib and I was like, you know what? You're pretty funny. And I just liked Chris's vibe. So um, I cast Chris. He was incredible in the movie. And then he asked me to play the character and former cult member. And I did it as a to return the favor. I was not interested in yeah. acting. What, what I, was the, what's the movie called that you made with him? Former cult member hears music. No, 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 no. The one that you directed him in. Oh, Dogleg. Oh, 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 he's the star of this film. No, no, no. <laughs> so, okay. The premise of Dogleg is like, yeah, uh, yeah. We need this Intel. Go. The premise of Dogleg is like an amateur director loses his girlfriend's dog. Yeah. That I get. Morning of a big shoot. Yeah. And, as the movie goes along, he enlists at the beginning of the movie, he enlists the uh, voice or the eyes of Nick Pinkerton, who's his favorite film critic. to yeah. take a look at these incomplete short films and critique them. 
So you went back and forth between like oh interesting A and then the films that Alan has made, and then it's almost mystery science theater a little bit. Like and then did you make the short films intentionally from the perspective of this like main character? Like, did you already no. imagine that? No, no, we 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 just invented that on top of what we had already done. Interesting. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. I acted. I acted when I was a kid a lot. Like in theater at church is where it started, and then in high school theater, speech and debate. That was really my shit. And I signed to a local agency and was trying to do movies. And then like they did a cattle call for a bigger agent that came in, and she signed me. And she was telling my family like Alex needs to like say goodbye to his friends because he needs to be in Hollywood for pilot season. <laughs> Yeah, and none of that shit panned out, and I was just like, "Did you go out to Hollywood when you were eighteen for pilot season?" I never did. I I never did, and it was because I wasn't able to handle this kind of rejection that was happening. I didn't know what yeah. to do with it, so I was like, yeah. "Fuck acting." But as I started directing in my twenties, clearly, like, I love. I mean, not to be like such a fucking typical film chat, but like, I love Cassavetes and the way that he worked with actors. I wanted to be like Altman. I wanted to be like a an actor's director, where that is the thing. Fuck yeah. the lights, fuck the shot. Like, yeah, this is the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And anyway, Chris asking me to act in former cult member just reignited something in me. Yeah. It made me want to pursue a craft of acting or like a, a pursuit of it in a way that I had not wanted to since I was like 15. Wow, so beautiful. I the give credit to that. Um, the fire has been rekindled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so now I, you are going to chase the dragon, acting yeah. dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not saying I'm not trying to direct. I, I want to. I just need the right, you know this, like, it takes a lot out of you when you're self-financing something, especially yeah. in a city that's ex as expensive as L.A. Like, well, Why don't you ever go back? Maybe you could make something in Mississippi. Ever consider that? I mean, I'm, I'm making stuff in Mississippi all the time. I'm making a feature-length documentary there right now. Um, oh, you are? Mm -hmm. But maybe you could grab uh, five people and go make a fictional film there. Ever think of For that? Sure. Totally. I mean, that's how Automatic Everything, which became Dog Legs, started. We shot our first films in Mississippi. Oh, I see. Films aren't in Dog Legs. We, we cut them out and I'm going to reappropriate them as something else. But um, totally. I mean, I'm always. That commentary thing sounds interesting. It sounds like a kind of Robert Downey Sr. sort of. Totally. Thing. Yeah. And Sean, who, I, you know what? You don't remember this, man, but Sean Price Williams introduced me and you. He also introduced me and Nick, but he introduced me and you uh, a long time ago. And we went to maybe your apartment, somebody's apartment. And it was like me, him, you, Lizzie, and your friend Andy. And in, in LA? In LA. It definitely wasn't, well, was it like Wobble Palace? That's the only place I've ever lived that could like hold more than three people in <laughs> your place even i don't know it might have been lizzie's place oh it was lizzie's place when she lived here exactly. if there was like a record player and stuff that was, was that was it that was I, I actually vaguely do remember this but you're right i actually didn't remember it in like a it way was like early days it was like 2015 and sean is weirdly a very close friend with my mississippi friend group like like dent may anna benefield okay Carson he's been shooting a lot for carson culver I moved here from Mississippi with those guys. Oh, I didn't get it. That's a whole contingent of like kind of alternative people. Where are you from? Oxford, Mississippi? Where are you from? Yeah, from Jackson. And Oxford is three hours north, but that's where our kind of music scene formed. Right. So I remember when I was, 
when I was 21 years old, like I drove cross country from New York to LA and we stopped in Oxford, Mississippi. And we actually hung out with a place where we crashed. Me and my friend was like with all these hardcore like hippies who were like, everybody in this fucking town hates us. We're the the fucking like, you know, we're the fucking hippies who like smoke weed and use Coke and like- That was like our friend group, but we weren't really hippies though. But they were really hippies. They had this like, uh, what do you call it? Westphalia type van that we were in. Oh, and, wow. And um, we did get actually where we pulled over by the cops. I had never done drugs or anything <laughs> like that. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and then they're like, want to go to Faulkner's grave? I was like, definitely. They're like, yeah, we get fucked up there all the time. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, That's- yeah, that sounds good. I love Faulkner. Yeah. Um, and then I, I remember like they had cats in their um house, like a lot. And I was like, definitely allergic. Not definitely. I was just allergic to cats. And I was like, She's gonna sleep in the car. I told my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. She's gonna lay the seat back and sleep here. In the yeah, car. yeah. I sleep in the car. So okay, out. what happened in Oxford was like after Jonesetta ended. Uh, after I moved back from New York, yeah. I was playing in a few different bands. There's yeah. like a a really like healthy music scene from there. Yeah, and that's where like Michael Bible and I started working together. Yep. Um, Mike anyway, Bible. We kind of split. Like, hey, was the whole Koran thing? Was that fake? Was that just like a joke you were trying to make? Yeah. Uh oh, there wasn't a guy named like Jordan Coran or whatever. No. So that's like just kind of like joke. So if I hadn't acknowledged that, you would have kind of pranked me. Like if I hadn't just brought that up right now, I would have been like the kind of guy who got trolled on his own show. So yeah, I actually, and you, you, you actually weren't trying to troll me. You thought I got that you were kidding, right? I did. I thought you thought I was joking. I didn't at all. I just thought, wow, one of life's great coincidences. Yeah, but it was just a joke. Yeah. All right. Now keep going. Sorry. So you and Bible were working. No, that friend group uh, split, not in a friendship way, but like half of us went, or some of us went to LA and most everybody went to New York. Mm-hmm. Mississippi is an amazing place. Uh, it breeds some of, I think, some of the greatest American like artists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's really hard to sustain yourself there as an artist. And yeah. It's a sad place. Um on on lots of levels and it's a vibrant place on other levels and i just don't yeah. think any of us saw a world where we were going to go into law or finance or medicine and um i man look and going back to my dad you know he came out to la right when he finished film school and decided like definitively i'm gonna make a career doing it out of mississippi yeah and cool to have done that is uh, as i'm getting older i'm realizing how what an accomplishment what an accomplishment how hardworking he, he is even to this day you know we, I, would I, say, do that. I would say also that i think for some of the listeners of the show i think that's instructive too like yeah you know every you kind of when you're not living in new york or la i think especially if you're trying to like break through as a filmmaker you kind of might think like oh there's a scene in these places oh it's so much easier to kind of like break through or whatever but really i think something instructional is like you, you you live in whatever city you live in whether you know i had great experience with people in toronto had a great experience mm-hmm. with people just right now in boston and mm-hmm. you know like you come up with your friend group and you are interested in the same things you maybe like the same movies or the same music and you just want to make stuff and and that's an amazing opportunity because those places are not like i mean one of the lame things about new york and la is that they're constantly represented in film like on screen you just totally. see it again and again and again and even though a guy like me or a guy like you is trying to capture like, parts of the la experience that aren't like shown that much or whatever it's like 
it's not like Mrs. Oxford, Mississippi, or Jackson, Mississippi, or or Toronto or Boston, which is truly like you barely see images from these places unless it's like a, you know a very specific high budget Hollywood thing. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I think that is a great first step to to kind of like making a name. You know, you just think of the great regional filmmakers like uh, John Waters or David Cronenberg yeah. or people who really rep their cities in all their work and like there's a lot to be said for that and it and it honestly it honestly feels refreshing what'd you say or leak later even and like what yeah, exactly I, I have to give a shout out really to the energy of dent may dent was kind of the figurehead of that friend group in the sense that he was throwing all of these parties dude we had this place called the dude ranch which was an old boys and girls club that mm -hmm. we converted into a venue and people lived there and like Grimes came. What did those little there. kids do once you guys turned it into a DIY cool? They just kept skating. They never stopped skating. You know, okay. skating. No, but Dent, Dent was such uh, a massive force with that kind of energy that you're talking about. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Let's create our own scene here. Like, yeah. we love New York. We love LA. We love to travel. But like, we've got everything we need right here, and we can bring people to us. Like, we can bring. UMO and Grimes and you know everybody was kind of working with Fat Possum at the time which is a record uh -huh. yeah yeah so there was like some things that that Dent was using to get people there but I really learned a lot from Dent and I played drums for him on tour for a long time he's been a really close friend since we were teenagers but Dent has that kind of energy of just like you know let's don't yeah, yeah. like the grass is greener anywhere let's do it right here yeah. right now and that has really rubbed off not just on me but I think the entire friend group, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think every, a scene, like if you talk about a scene, you do need one or two very like kind of like high energy, confident, hardworking people to be like, okay, we're just going to, I'm just going to do it. Like, yeah. and, th and then once you start doing it, it kind of starts happening. And you're like, wow. Like one person I've been really impressed with lately is Creston. Do you know? The oh, I love, I, dude, Creston was there Thursday. I'm so impressed with Creston. Yeah, and he's I, just a kid. He called me when he was 18 years old. We talked on whatever, on Instagram and stuff. And I just said, oh, this kid has crazy energy. Did a good thing. And then in the last three, four years, he's like really tried to create a scene just around his own kind of interests. And obviously he's inspired by what other people are doing and he sees certain trends and stuff, but he just really has this kind of indomitable energy in it and and really works a lot um, to support himself so he can do stuff. So I, I just think, yeah, like that is how things happen. Obviously, just people say, hey, I want to make things. I want to show things. I want to bring people together yeah. and um, bless the Crestons and dance of the world. You know? Absolutely. Bless those guys. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so it's very interesting. This Now that I know the structure of the film, I, I'm going to watch it with this this mindset of like, OK, it's actually in a weird way. Um, may truly morphed and evolved over these five years right because you yeah. wanted it to be like slacker but then you realize there's no glue here and then you realize COVID hit and then you have this other idea of like what if someone is like talking on the soundtrack over these short films or something mm -hmm. like that right yeah I'll say this and I've, I've probably said this at both the Q&A's and I did uh Asher Penn's thing and I said this too so if anybody's like listening to everything I'm saying you, you've already heard this and it might be boring but Trust me, no one listens to this. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear Michael, it. Michael, uh, I had been acting and like I was really enjoying it. And people were saying like, Alex, you should write yourself into the movie. And I was like, I'm not opposed to it, but I just don't know what that would feel like. 
so a couple of things happened. Michael Bible, we were kind of we were kind of debating how can we make these six short films like more exciting because like yeah. the scripts were good, the shoots were good, but like ultimately connected just the way that we originally. Right, they wrote. just felt like shorts. They just felt yeah, shorts. Just felt a and the bit- thing, thing about a short is that you watch it for a short period of time, it's over, yeah. and you move on with your life. That's but right. now you're trying That's to right. put them into a movie. Yeah. That's right. So Michael was like, um, I just heard Hitchcock say this thing that like, if you sit two people down at a table to talk about baseball, like 90% of the audience is going to check out by like 60 seconds. And uh-huh. you tweak that and you have someone come into that room before the two folks talking about baseball get there with a bomb. And he yeah, sets yeah. the to three minutes and puts it on the bottom of the table and then leaves those two guys come in and start talking about baseball. And now the conversation is pressurized. Like yeah, yeah. for the audience, more yeah. interesting for the audience. Yeah. Um, something happened in uh, December of uh, 2019, maybe mm-hmm. where uh, I was at my, my wife's mom's house. And uh, it was a December night. We had a dog named Rue and Rue was like 15 or 16. She was kind of like blind and deaf. And we loved Rue so much. And Julia came in to the dining room where I was having a conversation with someone and she was like, we can't find Rue anywhere. And I was like, okay. And she was like, will you come help us uh, look for Rue? So I was like, yeah, dude, you guys just aren't looking. Like she's obviously somewhere around here, you know? Um, Long story short, like eight of us looked for five hours around the property um, and around the neighborhood. And we never found Mm -hmm. Rue. Rest Um, in peace. Yeah, and we were just like devastated, man. I remember driving back to our house, like crying from the west side, and um, just thinking that maybe Rue probably like curled up somewhere and died. And we'll go, we'll come back at first light in the next morning and find her. And somehow, dude, I don't know how to explain this. There's a creek that we shot <clears throat> part of Dogleg in. There's a creek, and the drop to get into the creek is like ten to twelve feet. And it's like got water in it a lot of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That night, it had water in it. Mm-hmm. And somehow the next morning, Julia's fa- uh, dad, uh, her stepdad, found Rue da- far down the creek on the other side of where she would have wow. dropped in the one dry spot, bone dry, no lamp. She was fine. Oh, wow. Was she was alive. She was alive, dude. Beautiful. And it was like such an insane, re- like, weird redemption that right i felt and i was emotional like hugging her just like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. parable in the bible of the guy that loses his like jewels in the field or something it felt like that. okay i don't know that one but michael probably does so check so it out you, daniel Caron so, definitely does so you decided that this could be the glue to hold your movie together the losing a dog and, and this could be that spo- spoiler alert maybe finding it you know at a certain angles you kind of do look like the famous actor ryan gosling you ever get that before i got that yeah i got that you know i used to always get your friend david arquette really mm-hmm. i don't maybe see younger oh yeah 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 exactly when you look, tilt your head this way to your right, no, to your right, David Arquette. To your left, Brian Gosling. Damn, dude, you probably should be an actor. Damn, let's go, baby. That actually could be your calling card. Bald Ryan Gosling. Totally. People like, need that. People need that wait, type what of did you say, What did you say about my forehead? It's uh, I said Megamind. 
<laughs> I said we were all mega minding. <laughs> but I'm super. I feel like you've got a, a more like you've got a nicer forehead. My forehead is your thing is big, bro. Your thing is big, yeah, but it's, it, but it's good. Up. It's funny. It's like it's like funny Ryan Gosling. You know, he's not that funny. Right. It can be, but it's not that. I have a nephew that says my head looks like a potato chip. It looks actually more like a potato. <laughs> not like a fucking potato <laughs> chip. It looks more like a potato. But hey, look, if the if the listeners aren't watching this, they won't find it funny. So we gotta keep it audio only. Okay. You, All right. okay. Well, they can imagine a potato though. So Yeah, that's true. They could. I'm so jealous of um your beautiful hat, your dog like hat. I, I definitely want to get like I'm a- gonna give you I'm gonna give you one. There's a diff there's a couple of different hats going around. This is actually a crew hat that our DP made for everybody and it says director. Wow. And, uh, and everybody wears awkward. it? Everyone wears yeah. director? No, yeah, everybody says director on it. <laughs> um, no, but I'm gonna get you some some swag. Hey, can you say something interesting for like 30 seconds? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out this hat that I've been wearing. I'll okay, show you. Cool. Just say something interesting though. Don't don't be bad, okay? I'm not gonna be bad. I'm gonna talk read. about talk, talk talk about um the edit process and, and who and how you okay. edit it. Yeah. I was gonna read something from a book, but since you asked me to talk about the edit process, I'll do that. Eugene, you're not on the air right now, so you can't hear me. Ha 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 ha. Joke's on you, motherfucker. You should have never left me having the keys to your podcast because now I'm going ape shit, baby. I'm going fucking ballistic. And you don't even have the headphones back in, dog. So you don't even know what I'm saying. And so anyway, Final Cut Pro started to kind of phase out. And then Premiere happened. (laughs) Okay, look at this hat that uh, Vish let me rock. I recently did a shoot up in Boston. And so he said, why don't you wear this one? Okay, it is the crew hat from Yo. He he Got Game. No! Yeah. Um, Jesus, he uh, Jesus. 20, 20 years doing work. Spike Lee, twenty years doing work, and uh, it's a new era hat, right? Look at that. That's pretty cool. Jesus Shuttlesworth, remember that, that is those characters. Jesus cool. Shuttlesworth. It's like a cross with like a basketball in the middle. Jesus Shuttlesworth. And, I, I couldn't remember the last name. That's right. And on the side, it says he got game with like kind of like a basketball as well. So for anyone who's just listening, we're um, kind of probably won't place. be able to steal that, but I would love to. What'd you say? One of my favorite photos of my dad is him and Spike Lee. Spike came to Mississippi to shoot something that my dad. Four was... Little Girls, that movie? No, it wasn't a movie. It was like a spot. I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was like a commercial. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, I don't remember what we were talking about. but Well, we were talking about your hat and the gear. Oh, yeah. And, the gear. and um, so, so, okay. So, did you, so how did Braindead get involved? Was it just kind of like, hey, we want to have some screenings and they're like we're producers now or was it did they actually help you along the way no it was that it was um like we were finishing the edit and i was interested in kind of doing like a private screening where we invited people to try and raise some interest in the movie and i just talked to steve steve was writing something that he wanted me to maybe consider acting in and um i guess he had heard about dogleg maybe through some maybe through chris maybe through someone else and i was like you know, um, he was like, can I see it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to send you a link. And I'll never forget, man, I was visiting a friend that was in town at a hotel. And Steve just wrote me like, I mean, Steve's a uh, a very mindful and thoughtful guy, but I wouldn't say he's overly sentimental. Mm-hmm. And he wrote me this really kind and kind of excited text message and was mm-hmm. like, get on a FaceTime with me and my partner tomorrow. 
Yeah. So, just immediately they were like, we want to, we want this to be Braindead's first feature film. Cool. And it was that simple. We needed a partner. Like we needed yeah. someone that had a bigger audience than what we had. We needed someone, we just needed new energy. And Steve and Meg and Elia. And this is, this is did you shoot anything after that? No, 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 no. No, no. This movie is kind of basically done, but you just need someone to be like, hey, we believe in this and we think this That's is right. cool and That's we're right. going to help you show it places and stuff. And they're, they're technically the EP, so we're still kind of deciding how we want to do distribution, uh, which is fun. It's interesting to start getting some like ideas from people on what that might look like. But yeah, yeah. we're basically just taking the movie on tour, you know, and I'm kind of into this. I was talking to your friend AJ about this last night. Like, yeah. I'm kind of into the idea of the no festival by decision um, short mm -hmm. path that we're going down. And it's funny that Ari Aster, I've seen like people like writers kind of saying that in the headline, like the no festival by choice, Bo is afraid is playing. That's totally what we're doing. And it's not because I'm hating on festivals. I will admit I'm a bit underwhelmed by American festivals these days and what's coming out of them. But I just don't think that, it's what the about right the Oscar winner, Everything Everywhere All at Once? That premiered at South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Um, well, so yeah, this is exciting. You're going on, uh, basically, I mean, they also did this a bit in the 60s, like in, in the kind of campus culture. Mm -hmm. They kind of made their own sort of campus tours. Of I'm not saying you're going to campuses and stuff, but I, actually recently I feel like well, some of my, my old movies got revived, but also, you know, like Betsy's movie, Actors, mm -hmm. that kind of did like, its own tour. That's right. You know? I'm, I'm yeah. really influenced. I, I'm really inspired by Betsy and Peter and the way that they've kind of kept the actors train rolling. Um, mm -hmm. I love Betsy. I've got a lot of, uh, I've got a ton of love for her as an actor. She's one of my favorite actors. I've had the privilege of acting in two different projects with her that haven't come out yet. And Cool. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. You guys make out or anything like in them? Oh, I play her brother in one and a troll in one. She pisses on me in one. She pisses on you. That seems good. Yeah. A real P? That's Robbie Barnett's film. Yeah. Real, real P? Yeah. That's that's powerful commitment yeah. to the form. That's um, great. She is great. I love her. Well, yeah, this question of how getting how to get something out into the world. Now, let me ask a different question. Did you ever think of just giving up? So 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 let me just say another real quickly, real quickly. For anyone listening who's a filmmaker out there, I do think what Al did, what Alex did, your friends do call you Alex, right? I'm being retarded. My close, close, it's funny. My close, close friends call me Al. Everybody calls uh, me Alex, but then new strangers that are meeting me are calling me Al. So it's kind so of like- So look, I'll be like your close, close friend who's a new stranger kind of. I'll call just call you Al. Al. Call, yeah, exactly. Just like that song, which I'm sure, I'm sure you love. Um, basically, if you have- your first script and you've made some shorts before you have to kind of try to break down your movie into a bunch of shorts. That's the easiest way to make a first feature. Mm -hmm. um, you should try to construct a story that maybe on some level could function episodically. Mm -hmm. And that way you could rack on each kind of segment of mm -hmm. your film. And then if you have to take a pause, come back to it. Now, of course, if you have the financing and you can just do it all in six days or 12 days or 18 days or whatever multiple of six it takes to make a feature film, then you don't have to worry about shooting it out of schedule. 
But if you only really have the money at a time to shoot for two, three days, and you know you need 20 days or something, make a script, make a story that has a kind of open and closed element to each sequence. So that's like, okay, these three days, we're gonna be shooting these 10 pages of the script. And if like, regardless of whatever happens to the other parts of it, we'll never need to return back to this. That's a great way to make a first feature. And clearly, I think you must've had that mindset on some level, right? Totally. And also I'm interested in work like that. I love, again, like I love Altman. I love kind of anthological type films with lots of characters, people talking over each other. I really enjoy that. And that also gave me an opportunity to work in that capacity. But I'll, I'll say like, I mean, I think that what you're saying is true. I don't know if like that's everybody's best way of doing it, but certainly for me, uh, that was crucial. We needed to kind of re-up our funds after every short because they would cost yeah, yeah, yeah. we needed to kind of reappropriate ideas based on who we were casting yeah and that process of rinsing and repeating all the way through the edit led us to what dogleg became and you asked that if we ever think about giving up not really because i think that the trust that people put into you when you're making something for such yeah. a amount of money yeah, is a responsibility towards a responsibility to their work to their friendship yeah. To the work that you've done together, if you're yep. proud of what you did on the day, that can kind of sustain you all the way through. Because uh, you will have those days where you're waking up and that person didn't email you or that person... Um, or a location watched, fell through. A location fell through or you're in post and you were showing a cut last night to someone that left. You know, you showed a cut to someone at your house and you had wine after it and they were just not feeling it. You know that they did not like it. Like you have to kind of you kind of have to have this reserve tank of energy and For i think sure. a lot of that comes from the collaboration process of like yeah. the people you're working with and the responsibility you guys have together definitely um, one of the that it's easy to give up without that kind of um currency of trust mm -hmm. or or intimacy that one gets yeah. uh, another film maker on your set you know, Nick says something really beautiful in Dogleg. And he says, um, you know, so many times people, uh, when, when they talk about cinema, they try and relate it to the well-written novel or the well-made play. When point of fact, a film set is something different and it works a lot more like music. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the stickiness of a song works in the same way that a collaboration on a film set works. Like it sticks into your bones, like, yeah, but you know, you're talking about one thing you're talking about now is the process of making a film, right? Or you're talking about the end product of making a film. Or I'm both. About both. I mean, both. Yeah. Pushing yeah, yeah. through all the way to the end, pushing through to the next shoot day. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the benefits that we have as independent, low budget filmmakers, where basically no one really cares what we're doing and we don't really have financing, this is one of the great advantages of this thing for anyone listening is that you can make it with your friends. And so if you make it with people that you legitimately like, you have a level of trust and intimacy and like, like, you know, just kind of like collaborative extremeness that you can't really ever do in a formal film environment. And I'm always trying to leverage these things into, um, you know, comprehensible expressionistic elements of the film. Like, you know, if you can channel that energy and I think it's why someone as brilliant and talented as Clint Eastwood, who's a cinematic legend, 
always tries first of all he has a company in el paso he always basically works with his same people so they are essentially maybe not socially friends but they have a shorthand and a kind of kinship and secondarily he tries to work extremely fast from the conception of the project first reading a script to being done with the whole thing usually takes him four or five months and so that um eight hour days like he's yeah got i guess what i'm saying is i'm not trying to compare it to the five years of dog i'm trying to compare it is to the kind of intimacy and spark that you probably had on your set where it's like those three days or four days or five days or however long your mini shoots were were extremely like intimate and like fast paced and like generative and yep. all the everyone is just kind of contributing ideas and energy and you're capturing it you're capturing it's almost like like people are projecting their real projecting the the energy behind the scenes nothing more nothing more sad than when you watch a documentary that looks about making a movie that looks way more fun than the movie you know that is pathetic and that you that's actually more common than one thinks and um and it's, it's really important for us as filmmakers who are alive and aware to try to translate that energy into the final product because you know, i think you're so good at that you're so good at that eugene you're a very um energetic yes. But very much a a, a a conductor of energy, like a conduit. You're a very middle middle force that I feel like has brought lots of people together. Your movies certainly have that quality, but also the community that you're that you're always building wherever you are has that. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. No, no, just, thanks. I I just did a shoot up in Boston with basically a bunch of kids that I've never met before. They're all 18 year olds, cool. and. Um, I was so lucky to work with them. And I do think part of your role as a filmmaker, whether you're a director, producer, I mean, these things, if it's just me, the camera, and they're the performers, um, is just to make everyone feel excited, mm -hmm. comfortable, mm -hmm. creative, and mm -hmm. uh, feel like their voice matters, feel like their voice is the same as mine. Let them operate the camera if they're interested. Let them do totally. things. And then kind of just give them the... Um, the parameters to which you know you're aiming for and then have fun and see what you come up with and the thing about filmmaking is that because it's such a plastic medium in terms of the edit in terms of everything you can do to the footage afterwards like if you've got like you know i filmed just non-stop basically for eight hours if i have like for this is like a film within a film that i'm making later in the year if i have five minutes of good material for, from these eight hours like i've won and like, I don't have to get film processed. I didn't shoot on like, right, yeah, that's what I'm right, saying. Right, yeah. right. So I've kind of won already, um, even if there's even five good minutes. And I think there's literally like three good hours out of eight hours, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, right. to me, it's all just kind of like a gift. And if you treat it like a gift and you treat collaboration like a gift, then it's cool. But you have to be kind of, you do have to be kind of ruthless in terms of like, um, mm, well, not ruthless, but you have to be really, positive and really kind of like you have to have high expectations for the collaborative process absolutely and i do think that part of that is there is a ruthlessness involved like yeah you have to have high expectations you have to elevate people like if they're not meeting you at the kind of level where everyone else is at you have to kind of help them elevate the, their own game or, or figure out what they're talking about are. like there's a ruthlessness about the process that you must have not so much yeah. like but I think that some of that will trickle over into your collaborations. When you see Dogleg, you'll you'll see like um, that boil over with the process and the crew and me and like there is a, a um, yeah. I, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but there's like a clip that went viral this week from the movie that someone shot on their cell phone. Uh huh. And 
Alan, the character that I play, is berating the crew because someone called Cut. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. The discourse is very, very funny. First of all, I'm getting roasted. Okay, okay, but this is an actual, like, fictional clip in the movie, correct? Yes, but people think okay. it's real. Got it, got it. So, so anyway, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that, like, the when I say ruthlessness, it sounds cold, but I just mean, like, there's a doggedness that you must have in this process <laughs> to fight forward, and sometimes that will mean coming, uh, butting heads with your collaborators. If there's a kindness that's the foundation of that, then yeah. you're in danger of of killing each other or or you know stabbing each other in the back that's not going to happen ruthlessness has to be a part of the filmmaking process simply because it's chaotic you don't have the resources you need it's raining today yeah yeah failed like you are going to well, be I, I think when people care you know like when the people care and feel comfortable to express their their opinion they of course will have some level of disagreement with your perspective and then your job, partly as a director, is to say, like, oh, that's a good idea, or I don't know, but let's try it, or like, hey, sorry, we don't have enough time for that, and I can kind of tell that it's wrong. I, I think, you know, and part of that has to do with just, like, dispensing with your own ego and thinking that you yeah. know you know everything, because you don't. And I, so many times in my life, I, like, have done the first take. It's kind of imperfect. It's not how I heard it. It's not how I see it. Dingy, dingy, ding. I'll be like, can we do it again? Mm, do it this way. Try it like this. Ding, ding. Second take, third take. And then literally that night, I'll watch it. And I'll be like, wow, first take, so good. Don't know what the fuck I was on. Can't believe I even eroded even a little bit of the actor's confidence by mm. not telling them that was perfect. Mm. Well, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I often, you know, it's not like you're always instinctually right. I, I, I'm sure that that happens a lot. And I think in my um, shooting style, but you know, you just, you just have to admit like when it rocks, it rocks and, and don't ever be like, Oh, well, they're telling me my opinion is wrong or my way of conceiving this is wrong. So fuck it. We're just going to shut them up or do it. That's just not the way to make these things. And, no, it, and, it, off, and it, it will come off that way in your final in your final of, cut. Of course, feel like you're kind of being weirdly protective of an idea that's just not working. You know, it's not that's a thing. How you act, and and that's how you work. Then the movie will show that. You know, for sure. Well, I look forward to watching Dog. Like I, I'm actually I have to now fight the um, temptation to watch the link because you assure me that I will have a chance in maybe June or July. July, like, yeah. I think okay. we're going to show it in the South in July. We're going to show it uh, with Deeper Into Movies. You know that guy? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. In London in May. So maybe July, but uh, yeah. They're going to go out to, to London, you think? Maybe. Um, we're trying to figure uh, out the date right now. If you so can save the money and take care of your kid, uh, you know, and bring your maybe bring your child. Uh, yeah. I highly recommend London. It's a lovely place. and There's a lot of oh, good I love film Definitely. lovers there. All I was going to say on that note, you mentioned Godard earlier. I was going to say, um, I had a job in Italy recently and I went to the Prada Museum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, been there. they have Godard's. Oh, you've been there? I'm pretty sure. The, the Prada Museum. Foundation. Yeah. Yeah. No, anyway, but they, they have Godard's <laughs> office in a room there. Like They, they do? Dude, he gave it to them. Like, so that famous picture of him of his office where it's like final cut pro is on the screen with like yeah, the yeah. power and the thing yeah. all of it's there that's and I got funny and in it it felt really 
that, is that the museum where like the the cafe looks like you're yeah. at some like it's Wes like Anderson? Like yeah. it's like Godard by way of Wes Anderson. So yeah, I've been there. I just maybe it predates him like giving this to them. Of course. I mean, if you haven't been there in the past few months, then oh, you know, okay, it's a recent thing. Got it, got because it's like post him dying when he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He get he his corpse, his reanimated corpse, and his ghost gave it to them. Before we did this podcast, I was listening to the episode with uh, Amelia Ullman and Amalia. Uh, yeah, yeah. Amalia, sorry, but that's okay. Someone else just called her Amelia too the other day. I meant Amalia. I have a yeah, a yeah, yeah. She said, no, she said, you know, people always call me Amelia. And I said, I don't believe that. In my head, I was like, nah, she's just trying to make this person feel better. But now I know it's true. Yeah. But you guys were mentioning Godard uh, in the present tense. So that was definitely, and I was just like, damn, keep forgetting, like, he's gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that also bespeaks how uh, long I've been doing this show and how ashamed yeah. I am that the last couple of months I haven't had new episodes. So I want to thank you, thank Al, you. for coming on and talking about uh, lots of things. We had a lot of uh, little fun detours and uh, I look forward to everyone seeing your film and congratulations. Thank you. And uh, good luck with the acting career. You know, there might be a role for you in the new Eugene one. Just hey. make sure you send me all your materials. Okay, I will. And good luck to you, man. I'm a, I'm a massive fan. Yeah, thanks. You're a great friend. And this was a really fun conversation. Yeah, like, uh, I completely agree. Thanks again, uh, Al. I will you know, kick you off and wrap it up. Sounds good. Uh, enjoy your uh, weekend. Thanks, you too. Bye, buddy remove wow damn do i want to report you don't report i don't want to report him but he's been removed um i hope that doesn't affect his zoom rating on other calls um well thanks to al for coming on and joining us uh that was uh very informative and fun and and lots of little tidbits there and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this latest episode of Director's Commentary. I promise you there will be more coming up. Bam, bam, bam. Like, uh, like to, uh, yeah, to give you the feed, uh, to feed you, to uh, satiate your hunger and your thirst. Um, and until the next one, uh, thanks for listening. And I forgot to do the thing without because I'm rusty as a mule. But if you keep watching them, we'll keep. Thank you very much. Bye.